Thank you for coming back to listen to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Chad Harmon, Ohio Muskie Guide Service, and we're going to talk about, well, what do you, what else do we just guess with a name like that? Ohio Muskies, right? It's on the docket for this week. E, Brad Hoppy, Muskie Mayhem Tackle, is he's in the house with me today. And if you care who I am, I'm Jeff from Team Rhino Outdoors. So, Brad, what's going on over there? It's, it's uh, I don't know, what is it, mid Let's see, it'll probably be uh, early early December, we'll call this, when this episode comes out. You're probably done fishing. Well, I know you're done fishing. It's Minnesota. You guys can't fish in December. Well, not past the 1st, I don't think. Well, we can fish the 1st. So we did that. We ended up with a 48, and shortly after that, uh, a short rip. And that was the conclusion to the end of the season, I guess, Jeff. It was kind of a bittersweet deal. You know, we, we ended up with a really, really super sweet fish and one short rip. And I can't complain. You know, it's the last day of the season. We got it done. We got one fish in the boat. And uh, now I'm shifting gears, basically. I mean, we're, we're preparing for the Chicago show. We're um, super, super busy with the initial orders from some of the bigger box stores. And that's what my life kind of comes together with. I'm also working on a couple different things with editing uh, some commercials as well as some TV stuff. So my my days are, uh, <laughs> to say the least, I'm super busy. I, I think I told you before we started recording, Jeff, I'm working a, a day shift, a second shift, partial of second shift, and then <laughs> kind of a third shift on top of it. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I continue to work my butt off. I guess that's what I enjoy. There's a lot of things wrong with you, Brad. And when you told me your schedule, I wasn't even like, I'm busy, but you're like you with the, especially with the editing thing. I think, you you know, if you weren't trying to get that done, you wouldn't have to be burning. Yeah. I wouldn't even say the midnight oil. That's the 4 a.m. oil. And that's, that's even worse yet. So I'm not jealous of you at all. Yeah, well, nobody's accused me of being smart, Jeff. So I I just do what I got to do, and I generally love it, put it that way. So if I didn't love it, I would shut her down, but I I just can't stop. Well, I know I saw an intro for this this deal that you're going to have on KOTV, and that looks interesting enough. I'm anxious to see the footage. It looks looks killer, Brad. I hope so. You know, it's one of them deals, Jeff. Uh, I sit here in front of a computer and I'm putting all this stuff together, piecing it by piece by piece. I'm never happy. Put it that way. It's one of those deals where I continually, you know, just go, man, if I would have did this or I would have done that, it could have been so much better. But that's that's what I guess I I always measure against. And I, I beat myself up pretty good. Well, it's funny because I do the same thing when we were doing like YouTube stuff and I'm about ready to get back on the, on that horse a little bit. And I always think that I should edit these things, you know, in season in that way, you know, I can make corrections on the fly, I guess, for the next episode. But we never end up doing it because there's just never enough time. Yeah, you're right about that, Jeff. And, and the funny part is, is that, you know, you're so in tune with what took place over the last three days and that's when you really should edit it. But man, looking back at it, I'm like, oh, I kind of remember that. And then you kind of get into a flow. And then the next thing you know, I don't remember that. What happened there? You know, and, and, and you're recapping all of the different experiences that you had over the season. And it, it's truly fun. But at the end, at the end of the day, is it going to be like 
the presentation that that most people actually want to watch and and that's challenging that's for sure yep for sure uh shows yes we're gonna be there brad it's kind of briefly touched on that looks like the chicago show is in about five weeks from when we're recording this right now and well i moved a trailer that's about all i did so far so tro has a ton of work to do to go to a show because I don't know. I'm almost, it's almost paralyzed right now. Just thinking of how much I have to do. We haven't done any, any of it. I mean, fortunately we've been busy still, you know, busy enough. I mean, we're slowing compared to this summertime, but still busy for December, but, um, just haven't pulled it together, Brad. I, I really got to pull it together really soon and get, at least get started on this. Cause it's going to be a struggle to get to Chicago if I don't start soon. Yeah. It's been something that we've been working on for a few weeks as well, Jeff. And you know, it's always a struggle in that aspect too. We're pounding them out. We're trying to figure out exactly how we lay it all out for the show. Um, I've got the show booth right in our shop. It's cluttering up the whole shop. Uh, it, it's good stuff, though. You know, the, the importance of the shows are huge. We're coming back into it after, man, it's, I guess we skipped one year of the Chicago show. Is that right, Jeff? Or is it two years now? No, we just skipped one year of the Chicago show. We skipped two years in Minnesota. But, I mean, in, in essence, it's been, by the time we go to Chicago, it'll have been like 22 months, roughly, probably since we were on the road, I'm thinking, right? Does that sound about right? Yeah, that does sound right. I mean, Milwaukee and Minnesota have been skipped twice. So think about that. Um, I, I would say that I'm probably a little rusty. You know, you think about it, you know, we we are generally organized for these shows. And I will just leave it at that. We're a little rusty, but we're going to hit the Chicago show with uh, a ton of vengeance, put it that way. Yep, absolutely. But in the meantime, if you're looking for gear now or you need gear because you're still fishing, you're one of the lucky ones, or you need holiday gifts, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com where you're sourced for custom musky gear. And we can, we're, get, we're, already, we're not even done with 2021 and we're already working on 2022. New colors have uh, started to arrive for many, many uh, vendors already, manufacturers already, and we're going to continue to bring in some more. So if you're looking for gear, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com, and you can also check out Musky Mayhem Tackle. It's pretty easy. You go to MuskyMayhemTackle.com or check us out on YouTube as well as Facebook and Instagram. Sounds good, Brad. Enough BS out of us. Let's go get on the phone with Chad Harmon. Sounds like a plan, Jeff. All right, our guest today is Chad Harmon, Ohio Muskie Guide Service. For anybody that doesn't know, Chad was instrumental in developing the Chad Chad and the 22 Short from Lungeon Lures. I think, Chad, also, you've probably done some developing in some of the other baits, if I'm not mistaken, too. Some of the newer stuff they keep putting out, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did the, the Chubby Lure, the 22 Long, 22 Mag, or I guess that's the 50 Cal. But yeah, most of the crankbaits that come through London, I've uh, had my hands on them in my basement here. Excellent. So, Chad, we'll get right into it. First time on the podcast, uh, why don't you give our listeners kind of a little bit of in-depth information and, you know, kind of your guide service, what got you into musky fishing, what got you into fishing, kind of what got you from basically the start to now, and then we'll uh, we'll dive into Ohio musky fishing shortly after that. Sure. So, basically just been fishing all my life. Um uh, Got into musky fishing when I was about uh, 11 years old, 12 years old. So this is my 26th year doing it. Straight away from it for a little bit and did some flathead fishing. That's what got me into guiding was uh, doing the flathead fishing when I was about 20 or so. 
just kept along that path there. And uh, I just started up doing the guiding and really enjoyed watching people catch fish. Uh, I really like watching people catch fish more than me catching them because it's just, it's really cool to watch somebody's face light up, you know, if that's their first fish or if that's their, you know, their biggest monkey they've caught, stuff like that. But like you said, uh, Ohio Monkey Guide Service, uh, I've been running part-time with it for about six years or so now. This is, uh, yeah, my sixth year with it. And uh, around October this year, I went full-time with it. It was just one of those things I kind of always dabbled with on the side and just got to the point where the business was there and I uh, really liked doing it and I had an opportunity to do it full time. So just trying to just dive right into it. So far, I'm assuming that you've been on the water guiding as often as you'd like to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, been really crazy busy here lately, actually. So uh, it's just been Monday through Friday with it and uh, still doing a few weekends from stuff I had booked previously. And the fishing's been phenomenal this winter, even the fall, too. So, uh, yeah, we've been putting a lot of fish in the boat. Like I said, you know, putting people on their first ones and, you know, the big ones and everything in between. How many years has it been, Chad, since, uh, you know, Ohio started the whole program on muskies? Ohio, they were one of the first, I, I think they had the first muskie club overall out of Muskie Inc. and everything. That's the Ohio Husky Muskie Club. So their program has been around a long time. And I think one of the first documented muskies being, uh, you know, out of an actual fishery was out of the Mahoning River. So it really has a lot of background to it with Ohio. And I believe myself that we have one of the, the best stocking programs in the nation. You know, we do uh, one fish per acre in our lakes, our project lakes. And I think there's, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think there's seven or eight of them. Go down the list here. I think we have, uh, what is it, Salt Fork, Leesville, Piedmont, West Branch, Lake Milton, uh, Caesars Creek, and CJ Brown. Uh, we were doing East Fork for a while also, but uh, that one that really didn't take off as much. But uh, those are our main ones that we have going on. I think I missed Alum Creek too. But uh, yeah, we have an excellent fishery here. We don't have a ton of size. I wish we did, but. Uh, we call them Buckeye fifties here, and that's like a forty-five incher. <laughs> so we take we take what we can get on those. So a lot of it's just a numbers game. You know, your average fish around here is about a thirty-eight incher, and you know those are fun to catch too. But we also do get our huskies, which are forty-twos. But yeah, overall the fishery is excellent. Yeah, it sounds awesome. You know, and I know a few people that fish the Ohio area. Um, I know probably more that hunt the Ohio area for whitetails. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we have some big deer. <laughs> that you do. I've been down there and experienced that. So that's cool stuff. What kind of size bodies of water are we talking about, Chad? Uh, you have anywhere from, uh, I guess I missed Clear Fork on that too. I think Clear Fork probably our smallest. I think that's around like uh, 1,100, 1,200 acres. And, you know, then you got Leesville, that's around 1,500. And I think Alum might be our biggest uh i'm not sure of the size of that one but it's probably over 35 i'm guessing so i mean they're not huge reservoirs or anything like that by any means compared to what other states have but they're small on the smaller end but they just produce well ultimately that's the bottom line right yeah absolutely so chad let's talk a little bit about forage on these lakes what are these muskies eating so our main forage is shad out here i always tell people you know, if you're just getting into muskie fishing or trying to learn more about it, 
you know, forget about following the patterns of muskie. Forget about trying to read on what they do certain times of year and why they're doing it. Around here, if you just try to learn patterns of shad and where the shad are at and what the shad are doing, that's where you got to fish. And that's what you got to do with them. So uh, that's their main concentration. Now, don't get me wrong. They're opportunistic feeders. They'll, they'll eat a catfish, you know, but uh, that's, that's their main thing you're after around here is the shad. Jeff, have you spent any time in Ohio? Nope. I just drove through it. That's it. On my way to fish Pennsylvania. <laughs> I mean, I mean, technically, if you want to, I guess, get very technical, isn't, um, was it Pima tuning? I think that's what I fished. Isn't that like right there on the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania? Yeah. Yeah. Pima right on the border there. So they, they also have an excellent fishery there. A lot of, uh, a lot of big fish out of that one, actually. So I have not fished that one a whole lot. Uh, I have five lakes, five musky lakes with under an hour to me. So I just kind of stick around those ones. Yeah. So Brad, I think on Pima tuning, I think I actually bought an Ohio license. So, I mean, technically, I guess you could say I fished Ohio, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's positive. That's, that's <laughs> kind of cool. I mean, if you want, cause I think for that one, I think you can buy either. It doesn't matter. It's like somewhere in the middle of it or whatever. It's like one of those border things. It's kind of like, um, trying to think which one it would be not green Bay. I don't know. There's one of them. Or, oh, it'd be like St. Clair, you know, where you can, although technically if you go fish the Canada side, you have to have a license in Canada. So it's kind of different, but similar in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense. What's your home body of water, Chad? I have, I basically have like five home bodies of water. Uh, I don't stick to one for an extended amount of time. I jump around a lot. So the five I mainly fish are uh, Salt Fork, Leesville, Piedmont, West Branch, and Lake Milton. So here we are. We're, you know, in the first week of December. Let's talk about what you're doing right now. What's your gear? I mean, are you uh, doing some trolling? You casting? What, what it's, uh, what's the pattern? So right now, I fish from a lot different than most people do. I'm mainly doing uh, jigging and casting, and I will, instead of suckers, I run uh, shad. So I'll get out early in the morning while the shad's high. I'll either net them or uh, snag some, and uh, I use those for bait off the back. And then I got two guys or, you know, one or two guys up front, and they're jigging or casting. And we're running a lot of dogs, bondy baits, fuzzy deserts, glide baits. So... The biggest thing that I'm keeping an eye on is uh, shad location. So that's that's what it's all about this time of year. Uh, you find the huge shad schools. Uh, now, when I'm saying big, it, it's like blacks out your depth finder big. I try to find the high ones. And when I'm saying high, I mean like uh, five foot and above. Uh, and I'll cast glide baits through that. And I'll drag the uh, shad below them. Yeah, that's pretty wild, Chad. I, you know, I've heard that a little bit in uh, the southern reservoirs. I mm-hmm. guess when I think of Ohio, I always hear everybody's a troller. That's what it seems like to me. You know, and when yeah. you go to the the Ohio show and and what have you, uh, it just seems like that's the ticket in Ohio. Everybody likes to troll. Is that, I mean, is that? I guess give me a percentage of uh, trollers versus the casting guys. It probably was ninety percent. But now we're seeing a lot more casters come into the game. So I would say somewhere around 75% are still trolling, to be honest with you. Uh, and it's not that they don't know what they're doing or anything like that. It's just a pattern that works out here. Um, I, th- I think that anybody that says it's an easy thing to just go out and troll has totally underestimated it. There's, uh, there's a lot to it. 
Yeah, I can't disagree with that at all. So before we talk about trolling, because I'm sure we're going to talk about that, because when we're talking Ohio muskies, and like you and Brad just talked about, that's kind of the gig. But let's talk about the shed live bait deal. I think I've heard this before, but I don't remember exactly where or when I would have heard it. But are you rigging them up with just like regular quick strike rigs? Is that the, the status or this the deal over there? Yeah, so I actually used to make my own, uh, just like kind of like a Y rig of a steel leader and a fluorocarbon above it. But I have like really small downsized hooks to like a one aught because you can't put, you know, a six aught hook into a shad. It's going to kill it. You know what I mean? So I got with uh, Steve Gould with Trophy Time Leaders and he made a special rig up for me. And it's about, uh, let's call it six inches on each one of the Ys there with a one aught treble on it. And I would say about 14 inches of uh, 100 pound fluorocarbon above it to swivel. And I run about three ounces of weight on top of that. So I run them either vertically straight down beneath the boat or I put them on uh, planer boards and push them out away from the boat and keep them high. Now, are we talking live bait or dead bait? Well, uh, that depends on what they're in the mood for. So if I'm casting and I'm seeing these fish and they're coming in and they're real sluggish on it and lazy, I am actually uh, using dead ones and I'm putting them down close to the bottom. And the reason behind that is the fish aren't that active. They're not chasing fish. So what they're doing is they're cruising the bottom of the shad schools and they're just looking for an easy meal, you know, just laying down there on the bottom. And if something floats down, they're going to grab it. They're opportunistic eaters. I mean, anything they can get at the time. So interestingly enough, you'd mentioned early in this whole deal that when we started recording that you did the flathead fishing as well. Um, yeah. are, are we talking the same bodies of water, Chad? I mean, are you getting some flatheads while you're doing this kind of method? Yeah, some of them have them, like Piedmont and Salt Fork, they have them in there, so I get them out of there now and then, but honestly, I'm not getting them on uh, that shaft deal like that. I'll get them on crankbaits and stuff like that throughout the summer, you know, just kind of a freak one that pops up now and then. If anybody's out there that's fish flatheads, I mean, that's another whole gig that can kind of poison <laughs> your life, if you will. So, yeah, they're fun. It's an awesome sport, that's for sure. So, Chad, you know, you, you said that you're looking for that high up bait. You're looking for the Chad base that's, you know, in the top five foot of the water column. Is mm -hmm. that changing daily? Is it something that you, you know, you really got to go pay attention to every day? Or is it something that, uh, you know, they were here yesterday. Can I go out and find them again today? Are we talking the winter pattern? Yeah, I mean, because I guess what I would say is in the month of December, I know that you're fishing into January and. You yeah. Know, as soon as the ice is up, you're kind of done. But uh, I'm yeah, just so curious, you know, how much they move around. Oh, they move around a lot. Sometimes it's harder to stay on those than the muskie. But that that's the key is sticking with the shad because you'll mark muskie after muskie left and right. But the active ones that are feeding are staying with the schools of shad. It can change. It, the shad location changes every day. They can be in one area uh, in the morning and then. 300 yards away, they'll be down there by the end of the day. Uh, it depends on how strong the wind is. It's, it's, you know, they got a mind of their own, really. <laughs> so it's, it's, they're kind of hard to follow sometimes. But that the ones that, like I was saying, that I'm looking for are the ones that push high in a water column. And the main reason why I'm looking for those ones is because usually uh, fish are feeding on them, pushing them up. And that's your more active schools. There'll be multiple schools on the lake, but those are the ones you want to try and find. 
it's just kind of a hit and miss thing, uh, trial and error, finding out how that works like that. But uh, the more time you have on the water this time of year, uh, it'll end up being your favorite time. I guarantee you that. Uh, this is the time we get big numbers and big fish. So, in, in my opinion, it's my favorite. And, uh, you know, I, if I had to take a week off every year, it would be the week of Thanksgiving and go fish that week. So let's talk big numbers. What are big numbers? Because for, you know, I mean, across the Muskie range, that's different. You know, St. Clair sure. numbers, I've heard some crazy numbers out of there. What are big numbers for Ohio? Okay, so... I get asked this a lot. So what, what's a good day for you? So in my opinion, a good day is one fish. I'm happy with one fish per day, but, uh, big numbers in Ohio can be up to 13, 14 fish a day. Uh, it's just all about hitting it right. This time of year, we've been getting anywhere from two to nine fish a day. So nine fish is a good number for me this time of year. Absolutely. That's what I consider a big number right now. Now's a good time, Chad. I've heard rumor that you don't pay if you don't catch out of your boat. Is that, is there any truth to that? <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, if I ever have uh cancellations or I have a hard time booking a date or something like that, yeah, I'll do a no fish, no pay. Uh, I haven't been bitten the butt yet with it, but I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not you know? a standard deal, right? No, no, no. I don't do it all the time. Just, like I said, if I, if I need to get a date filled or somebody canceled on me last minute, it's just a way that I have an opportunity uh, to put somebody on a fish and I have an opportunity to have my date filled. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's just uh, <laughs> a game I'm willing to take. I, I think that's a great plan, Chad. I mean, you already got the day burnt, so it doesn't matter, right? Um, might right. as well try to look it the best way you can. And yeah. hey, th- those rumors kind of you know, they collect a bunch of attention. So I, good for you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Brad, I heard you're going to start doing that over there in Minnesota pretty quick, huh? <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, there's certain times of the year and I, I'm guessing Chad thinking this way too. There's certain times of the year that it's potentially something you could do. That's for sure. Right. I'm glad that Chad clarified by saying that one that he's shooting for one muskie a day because I think as a muskie angler, that's what we're all shooting for. I mean, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some days, if I know it's going to be rough, I'm just happy seeing fish follow. But, you know, like you said, that's what we're all shooting for. We all want that one fish because we all know it could be that next cast. It, it could be your fish of a lifetime on that next cast. And that's what we're all after, that one fish. Once you get that one, I mean, because honestly, in order to get to 14, you got to get through one. So getting the first one is always the icebreaker. And that's, I mean, that's my goal. Every time I go out on the water, I'm just hoping to get one. Well, I'll tell you what, if I cast out and I catch one of my first casts, I might as well just pack it up and go home. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's usually it for the day. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of truth to that, Chad. That's for sure. I, I would rather work for it for an hour or two before you get that first one. That's for sure. Yeah. The uh, like we'll say the greedy part of musky anglers though is they always want more and they always want bigger ones. Like I'll tell a story. So uh, I was, uh, it was quite a few years back. It was probably eight, ten years ago. My buddy and I were fishing a lake in Wisconsin that closed with the northern zone, and so we had never caught more than two fish out there ever before. And we we fished it. It doesn't matter. Once we get to the second fish, we can never get a third. It was the craziest thing. And we had two fish before 9 a.m. one morning. 
<laughs> we're both like, well, we might as well pack it up. But then we're like, but it is the last day of the season, so we might as well just stick it out and, and see what happens. Well, sure enough, we ended up getting seven that day. And, of course, I've been back to that lake multiple times since, and I've never once gotten anywhere close to seven. So, I, and, you know, it's just one of those things. You just Even if you get them, you just still got to keep fishing because that's just that's how musky anglers are. We're just addicted and we're junkies. So once we get one, we got to go get another one and we got to go get more and bigger. And it's just, it's just such a sickness. Yeah. There's something really wrong with us. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know where to go after that, Jeff. You kind of, uh, you set a tone there. What, that we're all sick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? Oh, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. They're hands down. I mean, Think about what we do on an average day. I mean, there is no other angler out there that I'm aware of that would do that, whether it be salt or freshwater. We, uh, we're poisoned people, that's for sure. <laughs> Especially when it's a double 10 biter uh, pounder bite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Like if, I mean, other anglers, you know, if you're not into muskies and you've never caught one or don't have any interest in one, and you, you think what we do every day you, I mean, you have to think that we're just a bunch of idiots because it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's awesome. When you catch one, the, the feeling is unbelievable. And, you know, if you're in a slump, you're like, why do I do this? Why do I do this? And you get a follow and you're like, all right, I get it. And then when you, you catch one, you're like, okay, now I really get it. You know, it re, re, uh, reaffirms your, your addiction essentially. So it's just, I don't know. Musky anglers are a different breed. We've always been a different breed and will always continue to be. And I mean, if a walleye guy was, out you know fishing and he's throwing big baits and he was going to catch one walleye that day he would just he would probably not do it so it's just i don't know just insane i guess well you can you can look at that two different ways jeff i mean because it is so hard to to catch these fish i think that's part of the attraction and i and i think that's the poison if you will so you know you got your bass anglers. What do they want? They want that bang, 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 you know, and the walleye anglers, they're working at trying to find those fish. And then once they get on them, it's kind of a bang, bang, bang. But I think the true passion really shines when it, it, it comes down to how much time and effort you put into it. And it might be a 32 incher and guys are celebrating that fish because, Hey, it took us 14 hours to get that 32. That's the difference. I mean, I, I really think, we might be a bunch of weirdos, but at the end of the day, we celebrate the the highs and the lows. That's for sure. Yeah, I definitely celebrated thirty two. Yet I'm, I mean, like I said, anytime I'm musky fishing, I'm hoping to get one. If I get a thirty two, yeah, I wanted it to be bigger, but I'm still happy that I got one because there's a lot of days you don't even get that. Yeah, and celebrations all in the eye of the beholder on that one too. You know, because you have some guys that come out. And like I said, you know, they haven't caught anything before, like of, of that legit size and they get a 31, 32 incher and they're on cloud nine. I mean, in your head, you're thinking like, Oh man, that's, that's not a very big one. I wish they would have got a bigger one, but who cares? Look at them. I mean, they got a smile on their face and they're jumping. I mean, they're, they're happy. Absolutely. Chad, you're, you're exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, as we get further and further into the sport and we, we catch bigger fish and whatever we do, you know, think back. I mean, think I, I think back to when I first started in the sport, and if I would have got a 32, I would have been taking a picture of it, you know. Today, do I do that? No, I don't. But that doesn't mean that the next guy isn't going to. You know, as a guide, you got to celebrate them all. 
and we should, whether you're guiding or you're not guiding, we should celebrate them all. That's for sure. Yeah, I won't disagree. Well, should we dive in a little bit into, you know, techniques seasonally or what, what do you think you guys want to do there? Yeah, I think that would be huge. I mean, you know, this whole Southern range of things, Jeff, I, it's amazing to me. And I've got to spend some time down in Kentucky and different places, but you know, do I feel like I'm on top of the world fishing Southern reservoirs or even lakes for that fact? I don't, I don't think that I'm totally dialed in. I mean, I've caught fish pretty much everywhere, but the neat thing is, is that we get a guy on here like Chad, he's doing it every day and it just kind of blows my mind. Some of the techniques that they're actually using. Well, the one thing, Chad, I don't know if you want to talk about it too much or not, would be short line trolling. I think that's something that kind of blows people's minds and I don't think it's used that heavily in, we'll say like the traditional musky range, you know, the Illinois, the Wisconsin, the Minnesota, typically where our, uh, you know, the majority of our listeners are. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah, I haven't heard much about it going on out there. Uh, and when I tell people I catch a fish with, you know, just a liter in the water or seven foot back, they're pretty surprised by it. They hardly believe it, to be honest with you. And it's a technique that works, and it works really good. It, it works for me in the early spring and the fall, uh, whenever those fish are using those flats. And now just because you're trolling shallow, that doesn't mean that you have to use shallow running baits. You know, everybody thinks, you know, okay, I'm in five foot of water. I got to put something on with a small bill so I don't hit the bottom or anything like that. Well, they're still thinking in the mindset, they're long line trollers. They just want the bait back there away from the boat. Those fish do not care that that boat is there. If anything, that boat's attracting fish to it. Because what happens on those flats is you're going through schools of bait on those flats. What it's doing, it's that motor, it's kicking up that bait and it's disorienting it. And the muskie, they're coming in right behind that and picking off those fish. Like I said, opportunistic feeders again. They take every opportunity they can to get on something. How do you want to put it? To get on something to, uh, you know, to eat. So what I'm doing is uh, I'll troll anything from uh, 10-inch diggies to perch baits, 8-inch uh, tough shads. Usually when I do my short line trolling, I'm using bigger baits. Uh, there is some lakes with an exception. I'll use some 4-inch baits and stuff like that. But, you know, like my, uh, my perch baits and stuff like that, I let out five foot of line. I let out seven foot of line right next to the boat, right in a prop wash. And, uh, I'm looking for like, I would say I would go as shallow as maybe four and a half and as deep as, uh, eight and a half, nine, uh, what I'm, what I'm considering, you know, the short line trolling on the flats pattern, but you can still get them over open water on short line like that too. So as long as there's, long as there's bait there and uh, bait for them to feed on, or something for them to feed on that's having them up that high for a reason. It's a technique that can work every time. And a lot of people's downfall with the short lining is they're putting them on boards to get it away from the boat. And like I was saying, the boat almost attracts them. So people need to get out of the mindset almost to try to get their baits away from the boat, try to do this, try to do that. Put them right next to the boat. They don't care. I've experienced that. You know, I mean, maybe two feet, six foot and then like 10 foot, you know, and I literally, if you stood there on the back of the boat and watched your bait, you could potentially watch it get eaten. And, and it's kind of mind boggling, you know, and I come from the land of 
tons of clean water. I mean, I can see 20 feet, you know, 30 feet on the right day. So it's kind of mind blowing, you know, I've done it up here and we've actually had it happen a couple times, but I, I can't say that I'm refined in that bite. That's for sure. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a cool technique to learn and there's definitely a lot to it too. Cause you can, you can throw weeds into it too. So if you're, uh, you know, you're, you're fishing, if, uh, if it's maybe 15 foot and you got uh, standing weeds that come up to, you know, five foot below the surface, you can consider that short lining too, right over top of those. So it doesn't just have to be shallow water. Like I was saying. Absolutely. You're right about that, Chad, because that's the scenario that I've used here in Minnesota. I will have to say this, it's not the leader or it's not like the two to four feet, but six foot, eight foot lines, you know, I mean, right tight mm-hmm. to the boat. The one thing that, that blows, you know, it really sucks here in Minnesota because we can only run one line per angler. So sure. for, for us to learn as fast as maybe you learn, because I'm guessing you have unlimited lines, maybe three per guy or whatever. Is no, that, we just have two a guy here. Okay, two a guy. But, I mean, yep. you're doubling your odds, you know what I mean? And you're going to double your learning curve. And that's the one thing that Minnesota, I mean, it's tough. It's challenging. You know, if you if it's you and your buddy, that's two lines. How do you put the time and effort into just trying to figure out those two lines? Um, no, I definitely agree with you on the, the learning part and taking down the learning curve. But there's been lots of tournaments that I've been in where it was just me fishing by myself. And all I had two lines, you know. And all these other guys, you know, they're running six lines or so. The, to me, the important part is of trolling is finding that bait and that pattern that works. As long as you have a bait in the water that they like and doing a pattern uh, that's enticing them to hit, you only need one or two baits in the water. And just keep replicating that over and over again in those same areas. Or you can take my approach and do a refugee boat. So what I mean by that is six, seven people in the boat. Then you got six or seven <laughs> lines and you can cut that That's learning. True. How's that sound? <laughs> Get MMA on the boat when the rod goes off. Exactly. Everybody's fighting <laughs> for that rod. <laughs> so Chad, let me ask you, I know you said this can be an early season thing. So is this like uh, post-spawn or is it pre-spawn? When do you find this technique to be, you know, the, I guess, the the best i'm i'm more or less looking for guys you know anglers in the north uh, like i said our typical listening range is illinois wisconsin and minnesota primarily you know for those mm-hmm. for those anglers even when the when the season starts in that you know uh memorial day weekend we're usually just past the spawn a lot of times sometimes we're in it i mean is that still a good time for anglers up there to give it a shot uh, the majority of it in the springtime is pre-spawn, but where you can use it in that time frame you're talking about is if you have your weeds up, like how uh, Brad and I were talking about earlier, trolling those baits over the top of the weeds like that. Uh, so that's definitely a scenario where, where it'll work. Uh, but it's, since you guys can't fish that uh, that ice out post-spawn period or pre-spawn period, that other time frame is going to work great for you in the fall. So probably be like that time, you know, Brad, like when those fish make that migration in September, if you control over the top of those weed beds, it's uh, probably a good time for that. Yeah, hands down. It was it was kind of amazing to me this year, Jeff. I've seen two or three different boats doing that this this fall. 
you know, the September timeframe when these fish move shallow, it was pretty cool. I mean, I was seeing some guys and, and they were having success with it. So, you know, it, it's hard for me at that time of the year when, when those fish transition into that shallower water, it's hard for me to troll when I know that I can get them casting and have more of that interaction with the fish. And so on that, that's a decision I have to make too when I have uh, clients out. Uh, so I have to judge their, uh, their experience with casting uh, versus jigging or trolling. Uh, I have to use my best judgment on how I'm going to get them a fish for the day. And me knowing that I can go, you know, up in lily pads or weeds or whatnot and throw double tens over top of those and know I can get fish, but also have clients on a boat that I know can't cast very well, I'm not going to take them in there and do that. So that's where, you know, that short line really is going to work out for me. Yeah, absolutely. You can only uh, fish according to what your clients are able to do. And, and you, you want to provide them the best opportunity. That's for sure, Chad. So, I mean, you have to make those decisions on the fly and, and get after it. So, Chad, you know, uh, you told me earlier, I mean, I, I don't know that we were recording, but you told me that somewhere in January you're going to ice up and actually not be able to get out on the water. But you also told me that in the beginning of March, mid-March, something like that, you're going to melt off. You're actually going to start fishing again and guiding. Let's talk about March, April, even into May, you know, when the opportunity for the Midwest here, most of these guys, you know, we're only dreaming about muskies. How can they get in touch with you? What are you actually going to be doing? I, I'm curious about your bite at that time of the year. Okay, so that time of year, the ice comes off. Again, I'm looking for bait. I'm looking for the big schools of bait and everything like that, whether they're uh, pushed shallow or there's still, they're still going to be some deep and everything like that. So overall musky movements, they're going to start getting into their transition areas for, you know, to start their spawn and everything like that. That, that pre-spawn bite can be phenomenal. Uh, anything from, uh, casting bulldogs along, uh, you know, shorelines with trees on them and stuff like that, that are close to the spawning grounds or even getting into the flats with some early males or anything like that, or some females that are wanting to get in there early, uh, and doing some short line trolling through those areas. That's one of my favorite times of year to get in and get on because you never know what you're going to catch it. It could be, uh, you know, a 34 inch male. It could be a 46-inch female, you know, with a, you know, a 23-inch girth. You just, you never know what you're going to get that time of year, and it's pretty cool. So, for the trollers, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. You can, get, like I said, get around those transition areas and everything and uh, fish those uh, fish those flats. So, where, where I used to make the mistake, I used to think, okay, these fish, they're moving up on these flats. So that's where I have to target these fish. That's where the active fish are. That's where the muskies are. So I spent so much time on those flats, you know, casting glide baits on them, casting uh, bulldogs on them, uh, spinner baits. Uh, what's the other one? Rattle traps, you know, the, the springtime thing that always works, right? So everybody reads about that stuff, but what they fail to mention in a lot of this is there's a lot more active fish other places on the lake. 
so what I found out is that these main, uh, the main shorelines, the, the down trees on these lakes hold lots of active fish. And the main reason behind that is we have a big crappie population here in Ohio. The crappie are starting to move in and use those trees. Well, that's a bait for them. That, that, that's, uh, that's a forage fish for them. They're in there and they're taking advantage of that. And they're putting the feed bag in on those trees. So I'll target a lot of shorelines and stuff uh, using twitch baits, whether that's, you know, husky jerks or I don't know. There's all kinds of, it, most of your twitch baits will work off of it. Uh, you know, baby, uh, baby bookers, all that stuff. I cast along the tree edges, give it a lot of action. The, the main thing is make it look injured. And then right when you get off the end of that tree, just give it a straight, fast reel, make it look injured again. And 90% of the time they're hitting that thing in the eight. So that's been my number one producing thing uh, in the spring time frame. And that bite, that'll hold anywhere from, I would say, beginning of April all the way through May. So uh, that's a really cool technique to try that I know a lot of people don't do. I know I'm giving away stuff here, and I'll probably see people all over my lakes doing that, but that's okay. You know, you can tell somebody exactly what to do and exactly where to fish, and it's hard for them to replicate. But the cool thing is it gives them the opportunity to do that. I just want to see people catch fish. I want to see people have a great time. And that's one of my main goals is taking people out, you know, just to see that smile on their face and see them having a great time. And, you know, catching fish is second, you know, and I want them to learn stuff. I want them to walk away from the trip knowing that they can go out and try to replicate this on their own. Everybody is driven in their brains, right? I mean, everybody's driven to go to the south all winter long or you know in the early spring like we're talking about right now everybody's Mm -hmm. thinking cave run kentucky 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 but ohio offers that same kind of uh, that same fishery if you want so i definitely think that uh some of these guys i mean ohio is actually a little bit closer than the kentucky side too so Something to think about is heading out there and checking out Chad's guide service and uh, and figuring that out. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys if you could check it out. So I'm sure you guys will ask us at the end, but uh, it's at ohiomuskie.com. It's O-H-I-O-M-U-S-K-I-E.com. The thing for me, Chad, is that, you know, there's so many different places to fish early in the year, you know, in that March and April time frame. I guess where I'm at, Jeff and, and Chad, you know, the thing is, is that we can take advantage of a bunch of different opportunities. And the neat thing is, is that exploring makes half the battle right there. I mean, just the exploring aspect of muskies definitely can change your, your whole point of view. Absolutely. And I agree with that. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to go check out new lakes. I fish these lakes around here since I was a little kid and I'm not saying it gets boring or anything like that, but you know, it's so cool to find new patterns on new lakes and stuff like that. Uh, and just to learn how different places fish because anybody that says they live where they're at and they're going to go to Minnesota, they're going to go to Wisconsin and they're going to smash them just like where they're at. They're wrong. They're dead wrong. Each place fish is different and you know, they got different techniques uh, and different ways the fish react, whether it's, you know, working your bait slower, maybe it's working faster, everything's different. And, you know, uh, each place is unique and it's definitely cool to learn that, like what you're saying. 
so Chad, usually, I mean, I shouldn't say usually because there's no usual on this podcast, but we've done it before on many podcasts. We offer up one tip to help people put more fish in the net. What do you have to offer up? My biggest thing is time on the water. Uh, you can uh, go out and somebody can tell you one specific thing that's going to help you. Uh, but if you go out and do it, uh, you know, just one time, you go out and do it, you know, two months later, you're not going to perfect that. You know, your time on the water is everything. I know a lot of people, you know, they don't have that. They can't do that because of work, you know, other prior obligations. But unfortunately, that's what it boils down to is, you know, it's not trolling the internet for, you know, uh, Billy Joe's doing this over here and Bob's doing this there and looking at what other people are doing and trying to pull their spots, you know, perfecting your techniques. Uh, it's paying attention to the details, learning the forage in your lake. It's, it's learning where you're at first and applying that to other places. So I guess my big thing is if an area seems huge for you to fish or it seems overwhelming, break it down. If, if they're on weeds that day, well, look at the area where you're at. Okay, they're on weeds and six foot of water. Well, then correlate that to your lake and find other places with weeds and six foot of water. Just break stuff down, and that'll help you out the most in the long run. You know, it's pretty amazing, Brad. We talk a lot of guides over the past, I don't know how long we've been doing this, three years or whatever, and time on the water definitely comes up probably more often than any tip that anybody can offer up. Yeah, absolutely. Hands on. Uh, time on the water pieces to the puzzle and uh, chad just uh reiterated all of that um as an angler we need to take certain things away from every day on the water whether you have success or failure that day you can take something away from from time on the water you know it's um i mean you, you learn even in in tough times when you're not catching muskies yeah i mean if you have you know clear water super clear water that day and the fish are just falling and they're not you know they're not aggressive at all or anything like that well, use that opportunity to see how your baits look in the water, how they react to how you're working it. You know, it, it'll give you a good idea on what to do then when the water's more murked up and you can't see your bait. You know, use anything you can as an opportunity to learn. So, Chad, we want to thank you for coming out. Before we let you go, why don't you talk a little bit about where people can get in touch with you if they decide to, that they want to come down to Ohio this winter because it sounds like it's a great opportunity to get away from, uh, from winter. Yeah, so you guys can reach me uh, at ohiomuskie.com, and that's O-H-I-O-M-U-S-K-I-E.com. Um, you can also look at uh, look me up on my Facebook, uh, Ohio Muskie Guide Service. Uh, you can reach out, on, you know, just text me or call me at 330-206-4428, and I'll be happy to answer any questions for you. Even if it's, you know, when's a good time to come out or, uh, you know, what might be working in that area that time of year, I'm, I'm happy to put people on fish, but I'm also happy to, to help people out. So uh, anything you guys need, uh, and if you're looking to book a trip, you know, I'd be happy to do that. I just, you know, I want you to walk away from it, like I said before, of feeling confident of doing it on your own, not, not wanting, not, not having to book a guide every time. Uh, do I want your business? Absolutely. But to me, I'd rather see it benefit you in the long run by learning stuff. So let me quick ask you a question about, like, let's just say somebody wants to come out and, and visit. Are there, how close are you to, like, major cities, hotels, stuff like that? 
sure. So I live in Bolivar, Ohio. Um, it's uh, I'm sure everybody knows where Canton's at. It's uh, the the football hall of fame uh, is there. So I'm about 20 miles south of there. And there, there's hotels around most of these lakes that are around here. Um, and I'm actually working on putting that together on my website on places you can stay on the lakes that are close by. So, All right. Sounds good. Well, Chad, we want to thank you for coming out today to, you know, take time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. It sounds like Ohio is definitely, I wouldn't say it's even an upcoming place. It's been up and coming for a while. I just don't think... Like Brad had mentioned, I think a lot of people in the early season, you know, anglers from Wisconsin, Minnesota, they they go over to Kentucky where it sounds like, you know, making a trip over to Ohio is not a bad idea. So we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule for that. And we once again want to thank all of our listeners for putting up with us for another episode of Backlash Podcast. And we'll catch everybody with a new episode again next week.